So, um, good morning to all of you. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Linda. I'm part of the church family here at St. John's. Um, and um, if you've been coming here every week or watching online, you will know that we are in a sermon series, aren't we? From the letter to the Philippians, Paul's letter. And um, we've been going quite a few weeks. We've still got a few weeks to go, but it's wonderful just to go right through the whole of that letter. So Paul, as you know, is writing to a congregation and he's in prison. He's a prisoner in chains. So essentially, I suppose we could look at it that Paul is currently on death row. But in his letter, he's writing to remind the believers that overwhelming joy can be found regardless of our circumstances. Now, um, Steve will come round in a minute with Bibles, but I just want to pause for a minute, if that's all right. Because I'm very mindful that when I say that, overwhelming joy can be found in any circumstances. I'm aware that my close family friends, Steve Carpenter and his family, live in Israel. Moved from America, following the call of God on his life to Israel. So I'm very aware that that's a massive circumstance. And I just want to pray before we open up God's word today, not just for Steve Carpenter and his family, and I know Deji has already prayed, but I just think it's right and it's fitting that children who are called by the name of God, that we would lift circumstances before him in prayer. They did this many years ago, some of you will know, in a Bible college in Wales. Um, and literally they were praying and what was happening in the various war that was going on, things turned into a different direction, things changed. So if you would just join me in a moment of prayer before we look at the scriptures together, if that's okay. Father, we do just thank you for the many prayers that have been offered these past couple of weeks now. And we join with those prayers. And we pray for all those affected by the violence and unrest in Israel and Gaza. We remember those who have been killed or injured in such brutal circumstances. We pray for the families who have been ripped apart for the loved ones who have been taken hostage or are missing. And Lord, we pray too for all those experiencing the humanitarian consequences as a result of this conflict and war, both in the Holy Land and in other places around the world. We pray for all people, Israeli and Palestinian, Jew, Christian and Muslim, we pray for an end to all acts of terror and lift before you now all who are fearful and hurting. We ask, Lord, that you would grant wisdom and compassion to all leaders and bring lasting reconciliation, restoration and justice for all. Lord Jesus, we're very mindful that it is often in the most difficult times that we recognise our need for you. 
So would you come in power? You alone are our Prince of Peace. And as we open up the Bible this morning, we ask Holy Spirit that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly and love him more dearly and follow him more nearly day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. If anybody wants a Bible, if we could just put your hand up, Steve will come around with the Bibles. Um, we're going into the letter to the Philippians, as I've said. Just wave. Does anyone need a Bible down here? Save. Oh, yes, Steve, sorry. <laughs> so I feel. Thanks, Dead. Okay, our reading can be found on page 1180, 1180. So, I am reading from Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. No confidence in the flesh. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the past several weeks... What happens when I'm preparing to preach? I just keep reading the scriptures. I just read it and read it and read it and read it hundreds of times. And it started to take on a really personal feel for me. It was as if the Apostle Paul is taking us deeper, if you like, into his very soul. And as I was reading it, it struck me that Paul's letter, that little snapshot that we had, was like an advice column, like you get in a newspaper or a magazine. 
With me, for example, as I'm reading it, taking that brave step to write to an agony uncle. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that I'm a Christian, which I am, and I'm writing to get some advice. Dear Paul, something has been bothering me for much of my Christian journey. We live in a culture and a context where we are encouraged to be confident. Confident in ourselves, in the way we look, in the way we live. We are encouraged to be confident in our abilities and our achievements. But you have said in your letter to Christian believers at Philippi that we must have no confidence in the flesh. So how then are we to live? The Apostle Paul proceeds to share his personal testimony with us using three points. Who he was, what he is, and how and why he was completely filled with joy. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul's not a convert to Judaism, but he's a Jew from birth from one of the only two tribes that stayed faithful to the house of David. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul is letting us know his racial purity. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Paul is a scholar, a highly educated individual. As for zeal, persecuting the church. He is a leader, an activist, who's going around persecuting Christians. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. His attainments were second to none. He kept all of the rules, all of the commandments, more than 600 of them. But Paul had found something greater than all of his achievements. The things that used to control Paul no longer had any power over him. The things that used to drive him no longer had any influence over him. Every single thing that Paul ever took confidence in is rejected. Why? If Paul was here now, I'm sure he would have enjoyed that song, The Worship Band, just some. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Paul has been totally captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as many of us know, Saul, aka Paul, had one of the most dramatic conversions in the entire Bible. There he was, travelling on that road, don't we, to Damascus. We know the story. And if you don't know the story, you'll find it in Acts chapter 9. But he was on the road to Damascus in order to go and kill a whole load of Christians. Basically, imagine the scene. The road is dusty. It's got a donkey, whatever they have, you know, sandals on. Just walking along like a dirt track, if you like. All of a sudden... And just watch for this in our lives, the suddenlies of God, right? Might be tracking along one way and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden there is this blinding light and booming voice. 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, is that you, Lord? And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Like we've had encounters in here with Jesus Christ. For Paul, it is a life-changing moment. And Jesus goes on to commission him. Right, Paul? I want you to go and share the good news to the Gentiles and take my message to the people of Israel. But if you know anything about the life of Paul, there's one thing that really stands out. Conversion was not enough for him. Paul went on to have a passionate pursuit of more of Jesus, from his conversion to his death. And this you see in lots of his writings. If you read Paul's letters, you will see him using terms like being in Christ and in him and Christ in us, the hope of glory. You see, Paul had a deep revelation of Jesus Christ, which led to his entire being, his ministry, his life, his very purpose for breathing, became focused, focused only on his Lord and his Saviour. Paul's life turned 180 degrees. He no longer placed any confidence in the flesh. He had one goal. He simplified it. It's so simple, this gospel. He had one goal. To gain Christ at any cost. Let's look again together at the heart of our text this morning in verses 7 to 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Everything else in Paul's life was considered as garbage. And if you look through all the different translations, some say the word rubbish, some say the word dung. And in the original Greek, the meaning of the word is excrement. So you can apply a modern term there. I won't do that in church because it's filled. But that's what Paul considered all of his gifts, all of his achievements to be that word. For Paul... Jesus became infinitely more valuable. Every single thing else was worthless because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. So I have two questions for us to consider this morning, questions I tell you I'm asking myself and have been asking myself for several weeks. Do I want to gain Christ at any cost? And is Christ truly everything to me? My very purpose for living? If the answer to that question or any of those questions is yes, then like Paul, you'll be able to point to that heap of excrement, garbage, rubbish, all that stuff you've put there. You'll be able to point to that. But I suspect if you're anything like me, the answer might be actually no. 
Now you may be thinking, oh Linda, what's the point? Haven't we already gained Christ? Isn't that exactly who every believer has living in them anyway? Are we not really already the object of God's love? Well, yes, yes we are. For we know, don't we, that God so loved the world that he gave us his son, our saviour Jesus Christ. And this is how simple it is. And simply by believing in him, we all have eternal life and none of us are going to perish. That's fundamental, fundamental to our faith. But I have something for us to think about this morning. Could it be that that is simply step one? Whereas knowing Jesus, really knowing him, is to be our daily life goal until we draw our last breath. I think that's what Paul is communicating to us in all of his letters. It can be so easy, I think, to get caught up in those tangible things like possessions or those intangible things like fame and status, all of those things. But when Jesus Christ gets hold of you, everything changes. Everything changes. I know for me personally, that was my experience. It really was. On the 15th of March, 2008, it was as if something just wrenched me and everything changed. Everything is different. My old life is unrecognisable to the life that I have today. There is an exchange in salvation. And I just want, if you remember nothing else at all, there is an exchange in salvation. It's an exchange of all that we were for all that Christ is. That's what happens when we ask Jesus into our heart. Everything we were for all that he is. And Paul found what the prophet Isaiah had talked about hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, it says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed, clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. One day, and I pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. One day, Jesus is coming back for his bride. That's us, the church. He's coming back for us. The intensity of love that Jesus has for his bride is second to none and it's often expressed in a book that we don't I don't know about you but it's a book that I probably don't go into as much as the rest of the Bible the Song of Solomon and in that book we have Solomon portrayed as a type of Christ okay so the book can be considered from a Christian interpretation as an allegory of Christ's love for the church and there's one verse, I just picked one verse, but if you have time, just read through the whole book of Song of Solomon. And it is for men as well as women. It's a love story. Yeah, it's a love story. And this is what that verse says. You have captivated my heart, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. 
This is the revelation of how lovely the bride of Christ is to the bridegroom. It is not our religious credentials, our ability, our ministry, our success or our money that captures the attention of Christ. It's you. It's you. You, you, it's you. It's you. And it's me. We're the ones that capture the heart of Jesus Christ. The bride of Christ that he's coming back for are a holy people. And as a holy people, our heart posture should be this longing to just please Jesus, living lives of obedience, longing to be separated to him, set apart for him. Imagine that, a bride and a bridegroom. It's as if Paul, when he writes, has found the greatest treasure in his whole life and he wants to pursue it, doesn't he, at any cost. And Jesus spoke about this in a parable that you all know well. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. The man sells everything he has, everything, to get that treasure. In other words, all the so-called costs and all the so-called losses, everything, are nothing compared to knowing Christ, the greatest treasure. Now, Paul's joy. I just want to talk about that for a minute. On the 15th of March, 2008, when my life changed, people often ask me, what, what happened? What changed exactly? The Lord gave me joy. I didn't have joy before then. I had happiness. Happiness? Oh yeah, I had a load of happiness, depending on what was happening. When I got promoted at work, I had happiness. When I came into a big bonus at work and that cheque came through into my bank account, I had happiness. But on the 15th of March 2008, the Lord gave me joy. A joy deep within me that is stable and consistent regardless of what's going on around me. Brothers and sisters, I really don't know where each and every one of us are on their Christian journey. But I'll tell you where I am. What season I'm in. I'm always reflecting on where am I, Lord? Where am I? What's going on? You know, where am I? I just want to love the Lord more. I want to fall in love with him again. That 15th of March 2008 changed my life. The love that I found that day. I mean, and it hasn't left me, but I want more. I want more. Paul's sole ambition was to know Christ, to actually experience him, not just to know Christ in his head, but to know Christ in his heart. Not to know Jesus simply because you've read about him in a book, or you've read about his historical life or some doctrine about Jesus, not simply knowing his moral example or all the work he's done on our behalf, but really knowing him and being known by him. 
I think knowing looks like four things, and I'm just going to share. These are just my thoughts. You may have another four. It means that whenever we are called upon to choose between anything in this world and Christ, we choose Christ. It means that we will deal with the things of this world that draw us nearer to Christ so that we can gain more of him and enjoy him more just by the way we live in this world. It means we will always deal with the things of this world in ways that will show that the stuff of this world is not our treasure. Not our money, not our husband, not our children. It is not our treasure. Christ is. And finally, and this one I relate to more profoundly than ever, it means that when we lose anything the world has to offer, when you lose your house, your job, a friend, a partner, when you lose anything, you don't lose the internal joy that Jesus has given you because those things are not our treasure. Christ is our treasure. So what advice is Paul giving us in this advice column? Well, he's inviting us into a new way of life, a life where our confidence is in Christ, not in our flesh. It's a life where we desire to gain Christ, to love him and know more of his heart. It is a life, and you don't hear this term much these days, but it is a life of complete surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Continually resting in his care, sitting in his presence, unhurried, yearning after him and longing for him. Will I take Paul's advice? Will you take Paul's advice? With the help of God, we will. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you for giving us your son, the greatest gift in the entire world. We thank you that as we have gained Christ, he is both our saviour and our Lord. We thank you that the burden of running our own lives has been removed as we place our trust and our confidence in you. Would you make us a people marked by love for you and for one another? And help us, Lord, to take this love to a world that is hurting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.